Uh, today we are in our final week of our birthright series, and uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Probably a little bit too much ground, as is my way of doing things. And so we've got the last couple of weeks on podcast. Um, I do feel like this series is a series that is very much linked with where we are at as a church. I feel like we are at that point where God is uh, in. in inviting us into this new season and this series has been our way of trying to encourage and catch the flow of what God is wanting to do. So I'll give you a quick recap, but if you haven't heard the messages, please go listen to the podcast so that you can catch hold of what God is wanting to do. In week one, we spoke about Esau's birthright, how he despised it, and, um, and in that way, God actually calls him godless. In the book of Hebrews, we see that God says, Esau was godless in despising his birthright. And so we spoke about the birthright. And what is the birthright? The birthright is the ability to lead others into flourishing. And there is the other side of blessing. In fact, we always use the word blessing as God's um, ability, uh, God, God blessing us, God allowing us to individually flourish. But in the Old Testament, as we unpack the word blessing, it has a double edge. God wants us to flourish personally, but He also wants us to lead others into flourishing. That is what the blessing of God does, is both individual and community-based. And so we spoke about how we need to ensure that we we are not despising the birthright, the ability to lead others into flourishing. And I'm going to put forward that God's not just uh, giving us an invitation or a special ability. He is giving us a command to lead others into flourishing. And week two, we spoke about how we all have a birthright because God calls us the assembly of the firstborn. And that is taken a little bit, I think, uh, from the concept of the tribe of Levi, who was taken as the redemption of the firstborn for all of Israel. I know I'm talking about a lot of technical stuff. That's week two. Go listen to it on the podcast. Uh, but God calls us all to have this birthright to lead others and we can trace the story of the Levites. And when the Levites are playing their role, they are in position, they are ready to serve the community. That in the Old Testament was often the time that it was a renewal of faith in the community. We spoke about how when we prepare ourselves as the modern day Levites and priests, as God calls us, He wants us to be um, a, a royal priesthood. Remember in, in Peter, that's what he writes in his letter. We are a royal priesthood. When we understand the role and we consecrate, we prepare ourselves for that, it has an impact on our community. And that's what I'm excited about. As we prepare ourselves to lead as we prepare ourselves to carry what God has called us to carry, people's lives are going to be impacted. If that doesn't excite you, it's because you've got a bad understanding of blessing. I'm just going to put it out there. God's blessing was never selfish. And in week one, we spoke about that, that when Esau despised the birthright, the leadership, God rejected him for the blessing. When we reject the leadership that God places on us, we don't get that personal blessing. Because God is not into blessing people who are just going to hoard. We see that time and time again in the Bible. Is that All the hoarders are the ones that God goes after. And so, anyway, sorry, I got a bit passionate about that. 
We're not going to have a series on hoarding. But we're going to have a series on how God calls us to lead. So today I want to wrap it all up, and I want to talk about how God empowers us to lead. What does it mean to be empowered to lead? How does God actually do that? And so let's look in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, and this is what it says. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So we have the Great Commission. We're all very familiar with that. It is a a passage that we also studied just uh, in the previous series. I'm not going to talk so much about discipleship, but I want to point out that discipleship is leadership. When God calls us to disciple, we necessarily are leading people. It doesn't mean that you necessarily get a title of leader, but it means that you must be leading people. Why? Because discipleship is basically saying, follow me as I follow Christ. If you are wanting someone to follow you, you are the leader. Very easy. You should have learned that in preschool when you played any of those games. And if you didn't have preschool, hopefully at primary school where you play one of those games where follow the leader, Simon says, whatever it is, when someone is following you, you are the leader. So necessarily in all of our lives, we are called to lead. Some of us are called to lead more than just um, in a discipleship specific context. Some of us are called to lead teams and maybe organizations, businesses. Many of us are called to lead families. And those are all leadership positions. But the heart of it is that God is saying that every Christian is a leader. And Jesus introduces this by saying, all authority has... on." An, Sorry, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You go, therefore. And some of us find that a little bit funny. But I think there's two things that we need to realize here. When Jesus wanted to give the commissioning to his disciples, he was about to ascend to heaven and saying, you guys are now delegated authority. Jesus actually makes sure that they realize, hey, guys, I have the authority. And so when Jesus says, I have the authority, you go, what's he saying? I am commanding you. Jesus isn't giving us a suggestion as to how our lives are meant to look like. He's saying, I have all authority. I'm sending you. We don't get to go, um, no, Jesus, I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I've got what it takes. You know, if you're in the army, for example, and your sergeant says to you, you go, scatter the enemy, go find out what they're doing, you don't get to argue with that person. When you do so, there's something called a court-martial, and you go to jail for it because you disobeyed the command of your commander. So why do we as Christians... Think that Jesus is someone that we get to negotiate with. You go, oh, um, Jesus, when, when, when I sorted out my, my life, maybe in five years when I feel a little bit more secure, maybe when, Jesus, go, 
Go therefore. Therefore what? I have the authority to send you, so you go. I wonder what Christianity will look like when us as Christians recognize the commands of God and we do it. Sometimes we need to stop this negotiation process that we allow to come into our hearts. Jesus says, you go lead. And we are like Moses, I've got stuttering lips. We're like, get in, I'm the least of the least. How did those guys turn out? They still recognize God's commanded me, I better go. So let's go. But I think another thing that Jesus is saying is that because I have the authority and I have sent you to go, you have delegated authority. Right? When a commander sends a messenger to go bring the message, that messenger has the authority of the commander. The messenger doesn't get to change the message, doesn't get to kind of play around the message, but when the messenger, who might be a lowly person, sends the message to someone who is much higher up than them, it still carries the authority of the commander. And so when Jesus is saying, we go and we carry the message and we lead people, he's saying, you do it because I have authority and you are operating under my authority. So we need to understand that the authority we have as leaders, it comes when we're operating under the authority of Jesus. And so when we try to lead outside of the authority that Jesus has given to us, of course we don't have Jesus' authority. If I want to take Jesus' authority and go lead the mafia, probably Jesus would be like, that's not what I have graced you for. <laughs> and because no one here is Italian, none of you are even born into that realm. I was just very racist there, wasn't I? I should have called it something else. But... We have been delegated the authority. We stand under the authority, and therefore we get to use the authority when we're operating in Jesus' name. And that's why the Bible says time and time again, when we ask for anything in Jesus' name, under His authority, when we are operating, I'm carrying the badge of my commander. I'm operating under His jurisdiction and His delegated authority and His command. I get to say, so Jesus... I need this in order to carry out your command. And Jesus says, good, go for it. If Jesus is saying, you go to this really difficult place to get to, and you say, Jesus, I want to obey your command. I need a plane to get there. Then Jesus says, yes. That's probably not the best example that I can give you. (laughs) But when we have, you know what? That's not that bad example. I've heard before of a missionary that needed to get to places and there just wasn't money to to purchase the plane tickets and God orchestrated events so that they could get the plane tickets. They got chartered flights, they got bumped up to first class. Because why? They were operating under the jurisdiction, under the command of Jesus. If we want to live in the freedom and the liberty that Jesus has given to us, start listening to his commands and living them out. Because whatever we ask in His name, we will get. And so we keep living according to our name, pretty lame existence. It's a lesser than existence that God has given to us. But when I'm thinking about the authority to lead and specifically to disciple, one of the things that doesn't match for me is the understanding of God's power. I have this a power, and I'm delegating you power, so you go lead people. And what are we leading people to specifically? 
We are supposed to baptize them and we are supposed to teach them all that Jesus has commanded. That basically, in my kind of perspective, similar things. Baptism is saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and I'm going to follow you, right? And so we're going to follow him. We're going to need to know all of his commands. So they're linked. So really, as disciples, we're teaching people to obey all that Jesus had commanded. When I think of teachers, I don't think they're powerful, naturally. When I think of power, what comes to mind are all the Marvel movies that Beck and I have been watching recently. <laughs> super strength, super sight, super hearing, super speed. The ability to manipulate people's minds. Oh, as a teacher, that would be fun. <laughs> to be able to manipulate objects with our mind, being able to heal. All of those things come across as powers, right? So what is the power that Jesus has given us in order to lead? Do we get to push people around? Do we get to manipulate their minds, twist their arms? How do we live and use the power that God has given to us? And that's what I want to discuss with you today. I think that our understanding of power is a little bit off sometimes. And we often think about something that um, people call power over. When I think about powerful things, I think that that thing has the ability to overpower me, right? And that's why all the Marvel superheroes, they have specific powers. And why we call them powers is because those people can overpower me. They have power over me. They can flex their muscles and make me obey what they are saying. And so when we think about power, we often think about power over. We think about this uh, strength to overcome something. And the truth is, Jesus has given us power over, but that power over is a very specific power over. And let me show you where this comes from. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20, let me give you context. Jesus had just sent out his 72 disciples, and he had told them to go ahead of him, and he told them to um, prepare the way, basically, to declare that the kingdom is coming. And then he also tells them, you go and declare that the kingdom is coming and heal the sick. And in that way, when we heal the sick, this is a really interesting thing. When we heal the sick, we are declaring that the kingdom has come. That's what Jesus said. Uh, we don't know why um, when we pray for healing, it doesn't always happen. But what we do know is that Jesus has given us this authority to bring healing because healing is a demonstration of the kingdom. And Jesus wants us to demonstrate the kingdom. And so we are meant to believe in healing and to pray for healing. And so he delegates this and then the, the 72 go and then they come back and then they give a report to Jesus. And they say in verse 17, the 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were operating under the authority of Jesus and they could even perform deliverances. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but, that, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So we see a demonstration here. When Jesus says in the Great Commission, 
uh, uh, command them to obey all that I have taught you, this is one of the things that he taught them, that you have been delegated power over all the powers of the enemy. As Christians, we need to recognize that God has given us power over the enemy. That doesn't mean that if we just go through our life without recognizing it, the enemy is already overpowered. There is this certain sense that we are still wrestling, uh, as, as Paul teaches us, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the air. And so there is this sense that God has already given us power over. When we see demonic activity, which can come in the form of illnesses, can come in the form of torment, can come in the form of depression and anxiety, can come in all of these different forms, as Christians operating under the authority of Jesus, he says, you have power over. You have power over. When we are leading people and we see that they are struggling and, and you have this recognition, this discernment that is a demonic activity, you have power over. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to fight against it. I have known of Christians that are worried about what the enemy is going to do. Why do we worry? It's because we don't understand that we have power over. We have power over. This is a wonderful thing. We have power over. However, let's look at something really important here. This power that God has given to us, delegated to us in order to spread the kingdom, is not something to rejoice over. It's not. Jesus says, don't rejoice in this. What are we meant to rejoice in? Salvation. Rejoice in our salvation. We, when God gives His power over, the dangerous thing is that we start to celebrate the power and not the purposes of the kingdom. And so I've seen people with power utilizing that power for their own purposes, and it never turns out well. What we need to recognize is that the power is something that has been delegated to us for kingdom purposes, which is to bring salvation to people. So what does Jesus tell us to do when we're operating in that power, operating with that power, is to continue to rejoice in salvation. I think this is really powerful here. When we forget about our salvation... We don't care about our mission. When we forget about what Christ has done for us, everything else that Christ is asking us to do becomes a chore, becomes a burden. But when we come back to that place of, Jesus, I know that you have saved me, the lengths that you would have gone to bring me into your kingdom, man, I am yours. Why do we sing to God, I am available? It's not because he has this manipulative power over is because he has already shown us what he has done for us. And so Christians, if you don't know how much, if you haven't uh, grappled with, if you haven't internalized, if you haven't got in your heart how much Christ loves you, you won't be able to serve him. Salvation is not something we get in our heads Neither is it something that we feel in our hearts. It's something that we get in our heads and feel in our hearts. Both. So which way have you approached salvation? Does it make sense to you, but it hasn't hit home? Or do you just feel it whenever you are in the presence of the Lord? 
And then you go to your workplace and say, I don't feel Jesus around you. Ain't going to serve him today. Who knows? It's this sense of like, look, nothing else makes sense. I've worked it out. And Jesus, what he did, that's salvation. And that's amazing. And I know that he's done it for me. And there's this conviction in my heart and this trust and this faith that I'm willing to place in him. Our hearts need to be touched. Our minds need to be touched. How do we hold it that way? We worship God. We rejoice in the salvation that God has given. I just realized I was looking very Catholic there for a second. (laughs) But when we worship, we're engaging, hopefully, our minds and our hearts, and we're saying, God, what you've done is amazing. That's why we worship God in spirit and in truth, because there's all of these different components. We're bringing all of ourselves to Him, and when we recognize that He saved us, we will know how to operate in the power that He has given to us. But I want to show you something else, because power over is not the only power that Christ has given to us. He has also given us power too. And this power too is probably the aspect that we get a little bit mixed up about or that I get very mixed up about. See, power over is, in, is exercising a strength over something else. But a power too is a power to accomplish something. So Christ gives us power too. And what that power too looks like is the power to serve. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45, this is what it says. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They exercise great authority over them. They exercise power over. That is how people who don't know God exercise authority. They exercise power over. And then Jesus goes on to say, But it shall not be so among you. We don't lead with a power over perspective. We don't lead people with a power over perspective. Rather, what does Jesus say? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We have power over the enemy. We have power to serve people. How do we lead people? We lead them by ensuring that we're exercising our power over the enemy, and then we serve them. We don't get it the other way around. In fact, I don't think many of us serve the powers of the darkness. But how many of us try to power over people? We think that we can't lead because we haven't seen that we have this influence over a person. That's the one thing I've seen time and time again. Young leaders trying to lead, what do they try to do? They try to get people to do exactly what they say, how they say, what they say, why they say. Does it work? No. Especially in a church setting, right? No one's paid to do this. Well, a couple of us are. (laughs) But we're already serving God. We can't manipulate and force people in our leadership. We serve them. But I think that's where Christianity has also traditionally or in my experience and many other people's experiences, not explain how we lead by serving. 
Leadership by serving is not just simply serving. Leadership by serving can include service. And so when I was growing up as a kid, uh, my church taught about servant leadership, and I was told that I needed to develop the heart of a servant. And churches are really good at telling, I'm probably getting a bit cynical here, churches are really good at telling people that they need to develop a servant heart by serving in all sorts of capacities. I've set up chairs. I still set up chairs today. Um, I, I, I did all sorts of setup. I've cleaned out storerooms. I've cleaned toilets. I've cleaned all sorts of stuff. I've served on every team, the worship team, the kids team, the youth team, the women's ministry, because they need young people to serve the women during women's ministry. And so I was one of those young people who served in every form of ministry known to the church. I've been on mission trips. I've served my butt off. And I thought that there was servant leadership because no one then taught me what do I do next after I've learned to serve. But what I realize is that quite often if our whole scope is service without understanding leadership, is that we think that our role as Christians is to make someone else comfortable. That's what I was taught. I sat at the chair so that someone else can sit in it. I clean the toilets so someone else can enjoy it. I clean out the storerooms so that someone else will be able to use it well. I've served drinks and food to women so that they can feel valued in the kingdom of the Lord. Comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. Is that what servant leadership is about? No, servant leadership is about teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. How is me setting out a chair necessarily leading someone to get closer to God. Yes, it can happen, but that's not all that it is. So let's serve, but let's also have a perspective that my service is meant to lead people closer to God. When Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, was Jesus simply setting up church? No, Jesus taught his disciples. He calls that service. He washed their feet too, and he calls that service. He rebukes his disciples, and he calls that service. You know, Jesus called people slow. So, like, do you still not get this? Oh, you are little faith. He goes to the Pharisees and he calls them whitewashed tombs. And he calls that service. Because service isn't about making people feel comfortable. It's about leading them to be closer to God. And so sometimes, servant leadership looks like correction. Sometimes servant leadership looks like letting someone else serve because they need to develop a servant heart. Sometimes servant leadership looks like training someone else to do our job so that we become obsolete. Because it's not about us, it's about the kingdom. Sometimes servant leadership is encouragement and actually saying to someone, awesome job, well done, 
I recognize and I saw sometimes servant leadership is caring for someone who is in a difficult position. Sometimes servant leadership is doing the stuff because there isn't enough people available in the teams. Sometimes servant leadership is about saying and doing things that could potentially push someone else away because you need to mention the truth. You need to say the truth. Jesus taught and the multitudes would leave him at times. Did Jesus go, oh, I'm supposed to serve these guys? Before they all leave, maybe I'll give them more bread. Quick, break more bread. No, Jesus said, let them leave. They need to understand this for themselves. I've given them truth. I have served them with the truth. And that's why I think Christ gives us power to serve. Because sometimes service is hard. Sometimes service is really difficult. Sometimes service requires me to do things that's going to make me feel really uncomfortable. Sometimes service requires me to use the giftings that God has given to me. And sometimes those giftings aren't developed to the level that I see any competence in it. So sometimes I need to develop my gifts as my way of serving others. In the midst of me making mistakes, God has empowered me to continue to serve with what he has given to me. We don't lead because we feel competent. We lead because God's commanded us to. And so when we serve, when we speak, when we do, we do it because God has empowered us to do all of those things. I think some of us need to realize, and this comes back to salvation again. I felt it this morning in my heart, and God's saying, tell them to serve, but tell them that I have served them. Tell them that they know how to serve because they've seen me serve them. Tell them that they need to serve because that's how my kingdom exercises leadership. And so Jesus is here, and I feel like he's speaking to some people, and he's saying, let me wash your feet. Remember that time in the upper room at the Last Supper? Jesus started washing the disciples' feet because he saw that there was need. And no one was stepping up or stepping down, as they would see it, to do the servant's job. And so the, the rabbi, the teacher, does that. He gets to Peter, and Peter says, No. No, Jesus. You're not supposed to serve me. I'm supposed to serve you. And Jesus says, If you don't let me serve you, you have no part in me. I wonder how many of us know about Christ, but we haven't allowed Christ to serve us. We're still trying to earn our way to salvation. We're still trying to earn our way into God's good books. We're still trying to be a good person before Christ is able to serve us. No, no, Christ has served us. He has washed the muck off us. He sees our needs and we need to receive it. And as we receive the salvation of Christ, the service of Christ, some of us are still fighting with fear and anxiety because we are not leaving it at the feet of Jesus. We're not saying, Jesus, I know that you can look after this. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that 
we just like sing a song about leaving our fears and anxieties and that's no i'm talking about this real relationship where, where you're actually like praying and in communion with god and god you say to god god i'm fearful and i'm scared and god says do this but i'm fearful and scared go do this you got us i've got you no good and then we step into what God is saying. We see the fears and the anxieties start to drop off our lives. The more I see how Christ has served me, the more I can actually lay my life down. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Can we get the band up this morning? Originally, I felt that the challenge for this morning is for us to go serve, to walk in the power that God has given us, the power over authorities of darkness, but also the authority to serve and to lead others closer to Christ. But as I've sat here this morning, I've felt God saying, rather than issuing a challenge, I think today's an issuing of an invitation. It's a coming under God's authority first. It's a, it's a saying, Christ, you are my savior. I'm walking in your grace. I'm receiving your grace this morning. Some of you have got regrets. Some of you have got shame. Some of you have got guilt that makes you feel like you're on the outside of what God is doing. I feel like God is just saying, I didn't place you there. I didn't put you on the outside. I didn't push you away. My arms are still open. And this is an invitation to come under. For some of you this morning is just a reminder of how Christ has served you. We as human beings are really good at recognizing all the issues we have with us. And we also need to recognize, God, you've done so much for me. So close your eyes. Have this moment, cut out all distraction. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.